Welcome to the Cleaning Up Business Podcast. My name's Chris Kilfoyle and I'm going to be your host. In every episode, we're hoping to bring you industry leaders from a wide variety of service sectors, disruptors within their industry and day-to-day entrepreneurs with some business and life lessons for you guys to take away. Let's jump in to today's episode. If you do stuff and go places, things happen. He was just about to go and do a big speech and he looked over and said to me, hey, this will be you soon. This will be you one day. Even the smallest things that I could have done would have made a big difference to them. Give me an example. Just appreciating their work. Be honest about your weaknesses Mm -hmm. and address them and find a way to get those seen to. There's definitely plenty of money left on the table. The feeling of imposter syndrome was off the scale. The lowest point was a culture thing. We got too big, just became a little bit toxic. Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. There comes a point where you do say, well, What's the cost? Welcome back to another episode of the Cleaning Up Business Podcast. I've got another fantastic guest for me today. I have owner and director of Source Janitorial Services, Ollie Rastel. Ollie, thank you for joining us on the show today. Hello, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, same format as always, Ollie. We talk about fantastic stories, entrepreneurial stories. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Well, yeah, well, I'm Ollie. Uh, I grew up in, in Hampshire um, and, uh, yeah, had a pretty fun childhood, to be honest. I mean, I loved school, but wasn't particularly good at it. Um, and uh, I just found myself mainly drawn towards sport, really. And that was the main thing. And I, I had the dreams of being you know, in football, as we all do kind of growing up. And um, I did a little bit of that, to be honest. I did, I did get kind of close, but not close enough. How then, close? Um, oh, we've all got to semi-pro, haven't we? The, 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 old, the old cliche semi-pro. But yeah, it was good. I mean, I got I got into, um, I started at Farmer Town in the conference and then kind of went down from that's there. Good, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it was all downhill from there. But I was a keeper, so I was just too small. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, absolutely never going to make it in my height. So, so um, but yeah, that was, that was the kind of, the, the direction I wanted to go, but and then through kind of school and college, you know, academics was never really for me. Mm. So I kind of really knew that I had to figure my own way out. And um, even from an early age, there was a kind of a, a kind of um, an itch that needed to be scratched when it came to making money or making my own money rather than kind of being employed. There was, yep. you know, you always look for the opportunity, don't you? Really, um, and it never really came to much. But um, I think there was a a little fire that was burning away. Um, so yeah, left school with, you know, bang average kind of results and that never really took me anywhere. Played football for a while and got some money for that. And then um, I went to university and uh, did a couple of years at Southampton and it got me my uh, my coaching licenses in football. So I got my, my UEFA B and my FA coaching badges and then that took me out to the States. Fantastic. Yeah, so I moved out uh, for a whole summer Um and basically moves around just teaching teaching kids how to play football and also coaching adults how to coach. Is it is it substantially different? I imagine going out to the States and, you know, sports is always a fantastic crossover to business. I think there's a lot of parody between the two. What was it like out in the States when it comes to football, soccer, as they call it in the States? Weird, weird. Um, was it substantially different how it how it goes? Or it's more of a business actually. Like yeah. here, we just kind of play, and you pay you it's two a passion, pound, right? Yeah, and you yeah. pay you two pounds subs as a kid over there. It's you know it's a proper kind of you know paid coaches, and you know hence why I was, I was there. You know, they take it a lot more seriously. Um, you know, much higher um, 
gender equality in terms of the uptake of soccer. You know, I was probably coaching more girls than I was really? boys. Yeah, yeah. This is back in kind of early 2000s. Um, anyway, so a 12-week kind of stint out there ended up being, um, I did a second uh, summer out there and I didn't come home. Uh, they offered me a job and so at 20 years old, I essentially moved to the States and was there nearly two and a half years. On your own? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's some jump at 20 Yeah, years. it was. I think, I think uh, I, where I grew up in, in Winchester in Hampshire, it's, uh, it's one of those towns where everyone knows everyone, sure. you know, and yeah. um, brilliant for that. I mean, social life was absolutely off the charts. But um, I felt like I needed to see the world and some of my mates were travelling and, and, and I decided to, to go and work abroad um, and just see where it took me, really. Yeah. Um, so that was a big, I mean, that is, you know, the cliche university of life. You know, yeah, when you're, much different. You're living abroad and you're fending for yourself and um, you're finding your own way, really. And doing that in a different country, I think, is, is, is a really, really valuable experience. Yeah. Really well. University, just quickly jumping back to that, that's a big one. When people mention on on the show about going to university, did you, did you, Adam behind the camera, he's been to university. Did you find value in that? Is that a good ROI going to university? I'll tell you honestly. Um, so I did a two year course yeah. and I was only really there because I was getting paid to play football, mm. but it wasn't a full time pro contract. It was just kind of, as I said, semi pro. And so I needed to do something. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have the grades to make the course, but because I was playing football at a decent level, they kind of let me in through the back door. Yeah. And so, um, and yeah, so I did two years. It wasn't a degree course. It was an HND in sport and leisure management with the coaching badges in, entwined into the yeah. course. Um, so it was a means to an end, really. Um, I wasn't kind of going there looking to get a degree and then use a degree as a career. Sure. I was kind of there just as a kind of uh, a, um, a compliment to what I was doing on the pitch really um and it worked out actually because without that university course I definitely wouldn't have got the opportunity in the states um so for me big return on investment because you know that the money we paid towards the fees got me my my badges um uh, got me some knowledge with kind of um uh you know biomechanics etc and all the other bits you touch on in that course um and then um also gave me some coaching skills yeah so yeah I mean I'm kind of I see both both kind of arguments for education because I don't really feel like I went to uni. Mm. I feel like I went and just learned how to coach yeah. um, and play football. Yeah, and I didn't c- and I didn't come out with a degree, so I don't feel like I, I I've kind of used. Um, I've been down that road, but um, it's a, it's a it's a really tricky subject because yeah. it's so expensive these days. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I'm a big advocate of um, entrepreneurship and. Uh, and and you know finding your own way through business, and I often go and speak in schools, and they wheel me out to to, to the kids who have kind of lost their motivation for yeah. education. Um, but I'm a huge fan of a believer of when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. Because I wasn't ready to learn about history at 14, 15 years old. You know, I had no interest. I, I was elsewhere. 14, 15 year old. Especially men, you know, they don't have an interest in, in that really, do they? If it wind the clock forward 10 years, I was like a sponge. Something sure. clicked in yep. me. And all of a sudden I was like a World War II nerd and I was just kind of going out to the to the, to, to World War One fields in, in Belgium and, you know, going to gravestones and all sorts. Of, and I think in 10 years ago, when my history teacher was trying to tell me about this, I was 
time to break. I'm going to play football in five minutes. You yeah, know. So I think I think education is such a personal journey, mm. and it's so difficult to fit it into the right pocket of time for each person. Yeah, we're told to go to school at this age, go to uni at this age, learn about this, pass a certain le- you know level of exams, and we all mature at different stages. I think I've mentioned on the, on the podcast before. I, I was probably the same. I'm probably identical to you at school. Um, well, we look identical today, mate. Yeah, I know. We, we didn't <laughs> colour code, mate. I didn't know what I was wearing. <clears throat> I had the same. I think I had the potential to be there, but just, you know, wrong time. Just messed about with my mates. As I got older, I was more worried about going out the weekend with my friends rather than, you know, necessarily doing well and focusing at work. But it got to a certain... When I got to a certain age, I think I always had that ability, but never really carried it through. And that's just the naivety of being young, I would say. Um, but probably like yourself, you know, especially when, you know, you start your own business and you start that entrepreneur journey. Personal development, you know, we mentioned about uh, content. That's something that we have a lot in common. You know, you're thirsty for more. You're looking at YouTube videos all the time. So it's like you say, it's just 14, 15-year-old boys. They're not interested in that type of thing, are they? Like you say, mm-hmm. you were more interested in, in playing football than you know, maybe listening to a teacher, and I was exactly the same. But now it's it's probably the reverse. So you was out in the states. How did that go? Really well, actually. Yeah, I, I made some lifelong friendships out there, and you know, I'm still in touch with a few families out there today. Um, you know, it's it's a great experience. I, I'm a huge advocate of just travel, yeah, cultures, just experiencing the how people do things differently, and learning very quickly and as early as possible that different isn't wrong. It's just a different way of doing sure. things. You know, and I think I'd encourage anyone who's young to, to to broaden their horizons by going, you know, and seeing the world, and if you can, you know, experience it from a from a from an employment perspective as well. Um, so there is out there, kind of eighteen months, two years, give or take, and then came back to to Winchester, and it felt even smaller. It mm. felt kind of you know provincial, and I needed to kind of spread my wings again. So I think I lasted another six months there and moved up to London. And then my mate had a flat in Canary Wharf, and um, lovely. Yeah, it was on the, just opposite the dome. Actually, it was the kind of one of the first high-rise builds, and way before the, you know the you know the majority of the developments there at the yeah. moment. Um, but yeah, that was in yeah two thousand four, two thousand five, and I ended up being there for ten years, give or take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Stay in sports? Did you? No. So I, t- I had no idea what I was going to do. Sure. But I thought, well, I've got I've got a bit of a coaching. Uh, resume here to lean into and so um I went straight into personal training okay. so I went into personal training in in Canary Wharf and through P- PT you meet a lot of people yeah you meet some really interesting people and you never know who's watching I learned that very quickly because it was quite high in gym and so by default you're going to get some people of influence there especially in an area like Canary Wharf. exactly mm-hmm. you're going to get and I was presented with so many opportunities so many and I took a few, I passed a few off and, you know, but again, another, if anyone young is watching this, like if you do stuff and go places, things happen. Yeah. If you meet people, opportunities do present themselves. And that's why, you know, I, I just feel like there is a lot of value in, um, in, in getting out there and just trying lots of different things. Yeah. So I was trying, I, I got my personal training exams before I came up to London and um, yeah, ended up uh, there for a while, but that's where I first butted heads with with management, and really hit home to me that I probably wasn't 
designed to be employed. Yeah, you know, employee. Exactly, exactly. So the then the cogs were turning already about, well, how do I make this my own thing? Yep. So naturally, um, you're thinking, well, I can take my clients outside and earn a living through personal training on the side uh, and hopefully get that to a point where it's full-time. Um, so I did that, but I didn't leave. I kind of, I did what most business owners should do really is, is kind of, test the water before you jump the ship and it was hard i was cycling all over london you know peak times is when people want to train right because sure. they're at work yeah so you know i'd be busy from like six to eight in the morning. <laughs> like a big chunk of the day missing and then i'll be busy in the evening so it's kind of didn't really work and i was trying to work in the day as well so i could probably chalk that up as the first failed business but it never really was a business per se mm. listen it was an attempt to test the water did and it make you realise that you, you said a great point and I've done the same as you. It's all, it's uber fashionable to be an entrepreneur and sort of, you know, give up everything and chase your dreams. The reality of that, you know, it's not as simple as just cutting ties with your job maybe and going all in on business. You know, the sentiment's nice, but I think the reality is a lot different when you can't afford to put food on the table and mm. things like that. And I, I had the same approach as you. I was employed and started my business on the side, doing it out of hours and and sort of, you know, doing it gradually rather than going all in, as as, as everyone likes to say, and doing it out of the way. And I think, do you think that's a better approach for entrepreneurs? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I do. I, I also am a big believer of that, contradicting myself, in there's never a right time. Uh, yeah. You know, so, you, you know, you, 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 might, you might be kind of bubbling away in the background thinking, oh, it's not quite where I need it. I do think there's a point in time where you need to break and say, I'm going to go in, leap of faith. Yeah. Definitely. And you're going to have a couple of steps backwards. It's going to be a rocky start, you know, but then it needs your full attention. Yep. Otherwise, you're never really going to make that kind of transition into kind of a, a full-time uh, business person, you know. So, yeah, going back to kind of Canary Wharf, I met a really interesting guy. Um, I was training him for a long time, three or four times a week, which is quite a, quite a, a you know, busy schedule for a PT for yep. one person. Sure. You know, yeah. and... Um, Lo and behold, he was um, a really influential person. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and I love stories like. <laughs> and I ne for months I didn't know who he was because he's not well known as such, but he's he's extremely influential. Mm. Um, and he just said to me, "You can't do this all your life. What are you going to do next?" And he would always be probing, probing, asking those questions, and I'd be just like, "Well, I'll just do this." Yeah. <laughs> not really thinking that far ahead. But his mind was like he obviously saw something. And that's what I meant when someone's watching, someone's always watching you. Yeah. And, you know, that's where you've got to really kind of appreciate that and try and give your best version of yourself. Um, anyway, so he gave me an opportunity because he owned a lot of properties all over London and real estate across the whole um, world, basically. And he said, look, why don't you try this? And it was way before uh, the hand car wash scene was an actual thing. It was before... Um, unfortunately, I, I, it's, I think it's a pretty, how do I say it? A pretty nefarious industry, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, human rights, in my opinion, associated to those places. So I won't go into too deep into that, but he said to me, look, I earn, a, I own a load of land in South End. Yeah. Why don't you go down there and put hand car wash on? You've got a whole building full of potential customers. Um, why don't you um, go and just, I'll give you the, the, the place for free. Yeah. 
start your own business, mate. Wow. Um, I won't ask for a cut. It's yeah. just, I just believe in you. You need to go and do your own thing. So I quit my job, quit, quit, quit the gym. You went all in on I, this. I went in, yeah. I went, and it gave me great satisfaction, really, because the, the, the management who I was working for was a classic example where time served just doesn't justify climbing the ladder into yeah. a managerial position. Mm -hmm. The skill set that she had was just not cut out. Yeah. It was not for that role. She was a great PT, but she wasn't a good man manager. But she had just been promoted and promoted into that position just by dint of being there for a long just time. Based on, you know, hours you've been there, years you've been there. And I, me and her just, just clashed. And so I was like, see you later. I'm off. Yeah. I'm going to go and wash cars. Yeah. <laughs> and she was probably thinking, yeah, all yeah, the best. Good luck with that, my friend. Yeah. So I'd be bombing down the uh, A13 every day to South End from East London and seven days a week on my own grafting yeah you know i had no idea physically so was, on the tools no one else just yeah. me oh, wow. you know i even i just i drove down there my little peugeot 306 and you know just was 40 miles there 40 miles back sometimes i'd be sat there doing nothing because mm. you know bad weather and then gradually people got to know me i got some signs done by some guy who absolutely took me to the cleaners in hindsight <laughs> he saw me come in i was like yeah got, got any signs and um he did these custom signs and I had no money. So I gave him a credit card. It cost about 400 quid for this little plastic sign saying car wash down yeah. here. Absolutely done me, you know, but um, I had a big lesson there. I had no capital. Um, just basically put all of my startup costs on credit. Um, just was absolutely wet behind the ears, mm. but it was some really valuable experiences. Definitely. So I did the whole summer, you know, I didn't see any of my mates. It was just kind of seven days a week. If it looked out the window, I'd be like, not going to earn any money today because it's right. chucking down with rain. But then the football season started as well at the tail end. And so I started getting all the football traffic from Roots Hall. And so they would come in, drop their car off, get a full valet and want it back. Yeah. So I was thinking, well, how can I scale this up? There's only one of me. Yeah, you can only <laughs> do so much, right? When you're Yeah, right. exactly. So then there's another lesson about scalability and, and kind of just, it was probably a six month thing, you know, maximum. But I mean, did I, did I learn some lessons there? You know, absolutely. And that's what um, John wanted me to do. He wanted me to be exposed and learn some hard lessons and think. You know. And sometimes you only learn them lessons by being in the trenches, right? Totally. You know, even like now, I've I, I mentioned this before, I don't know, you know, some of our content. We've got a sister company, which is a drainage company. And that's still in its early days. You know, when I started JCD, probably like yourself, like yourself it's reliant on you. You know, because you haven't got the capital to go and, you know, get a management team in, get operational staff in. So you've got to do it. And we had an employee doing some of our drainage stuff. They left. So at the moment, there's days where I have to flitter between the two and actually go out on the tools and do that. And you have to do I think that that's the best way to learn an industry. And I'm so pleased that I learned our industry from the ground up rather than jumping in at different different levels. As you say, you learn some fantastic lessons there i really did and it's also about processes like because this one guy he came down from the building at lunchtime just to see his his car that i cleaned he couldn't believe it he was like this is almost like detailed what have you been doing yeah. i just didn't really know i was just kind of trying to do it as best as i possibly could yeah you know and if there was any processes in place i'd be like right I spend that amount of time on this and this is the the process of cleaning a car from you know outside in or top to bottom whatever it was so just lessons everywhere. And a lot of them I didn't realise I, I was learning. It's only when I look back and think, wow, that was that was invaluable. Anyway, cut a long story short, it failed because, you know, it, it you know, comes the winter time, it just 
it was miserable. I was getting completely mm. depressed about it. So I went back into into the world of, of personal training, this time in an investment bank, Bank of America. So there's a there's a company which at the time was had the contract to, to run the banks within the uh, run the gyms within the banks. Yep. So uh, pretty much every tower in Canary Wharf has got its own floor dedicated for a gym. I've, I've worked in the Bank of America, so <laughs> and uh, yeah, what a uh, five Cabot Square, I think it was. Yeah, and and um, Credit Suisse, who oh yeah, in the corner, they yeah. they had a massive gym in there, literally a full size commercial gym. Yeah, I used to work in there as well. I used to do a bit of cover in there. Um, again. Loved it. Sport was my thing. It came easy to me. You know, I loved coaching to teach spin classes, used to teach boxer size, used to do all that sort of stuff. And again, met some great people who are still in touch with today. But also, again, the eyes are on me. Yeah. People are watching me. And um, again, opportunities. So the head of the foreign exchange desk said, can't do this all your life. What are you going to do? Come Reoccurring on. theme about PTs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like a breeding round of recruitment. Yeah. Um, and so I started um, going up onto the trading floor, learning oh, how to oh, trade wow. trade currencies. Yeah. So I'd, I'd go up in my gym kit and all the people I'd be teaching on like a class at lunchtime were like, because my, my shift would be like six in the morning till three in the afternoon. And so I'd go straight up from, from, from first floor up to the trading floor at three until five until the market's closed. Yeah. And everyone was like, what? How's he doing? And then after a while, it just became normal. Yeah, we're like, all right, mate. Um, but believe me, I haven't got a clue about numbers. And I'd say to this guy, Martin, I'd be like, mate, I'm, I haven't even got a math GCSE. You know, I'm going to get found out here. Yeah. He was like, just go with it. You know, he was proper Barrow boys off the train from Essex, old school traders. Wolf and, of Wall Street stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, just go with it. Just go with it. And I was sat next to a, a kid who was, um, you know, had an economics master's degree. And there's me without a math GCSE. And he was like, believe, believe me, you've got the, you can do this. Um, so I did all my exams and that took me a while because, again, it's just like reading and learning stuff, parrot fashion, you know, the FSA exams and bored me to tears. And I knew in my heart of hearts, it wasn't for me. It sat at a desk, intense kind of environment in an office. You know, I'm, I'm a, I wanted to be free. Yeah. So I got a job offer, which was double my salary starting salary and this is bonus culture as well you know early 2000s mid 2005 2006 maybe and i was like i'm flattered i've done my exams but do you know what my something in my guy is telling me i'm nowhere near this job and i don't want to be yeah so i i I said thanks but no thanks and they were cool um but i knew i knew there was something bubbling away i knew that being a, a, a PT or even running a gym just wasn't what I was going to do. I never knew what okay. I was going to do, but I just knew again, it was another, another sign that you've got something about you, but it's not, it's not in this, you know? And, um, again, throughout my twenties, um, never really knew what I wanted to do, but I was just trying a bit of everything, meeting people. That's how you find out, isn't it? Really? Totally. You know, I think again, you know, there's a lot of, it's the first time me and Ollie have met today face to face and I think there's a lot of synergies there I was the same I was very fortunate enough that I was mentored by people that were you know very well respected in their relative industry and just given opportunities but that's that's through that's where I think personality plays a lot into things likability and like you say you never know who you're working with or who's watching so that's why you've always got to try and put your best bet forward right Totally agree. And also, you do the same, Chris. You, if I think what happens is people see themselves in you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's quite a powerful connection. Mm. And I feel like looking back over my kind of earlier years, I feel like the people that I really clicked with, they they would probably say that I saw myself in you. Um, and there's probably three or four examples of that that I can I can absolutely cast eye and give you on that. Um, and I think you know when when you speak to the next Chris, you see him a mile off, and you're like, I'm going to mentor that yep. person. I'm going to you know reach out to them and make sure that they feel how I felt when when I was kind of given opportunities. Um, and so yeah, I, again, I met some. I, I'm a Villa fan, and and when I was in London, we had a really close group of guys who were all older than me in in, in established careers and stuff, and. I went to work for one of them because I was out of work and um, he just said, I'll oh, come and work for me. I'll set up a, a company uh, within my existing business and you can do that in recruitment. So I did that um, again, pretty kind of, you know, stifling job in yeah. terms of someone who's, you know, born to be kind of a bit more free, <laughs> but it was great because I got another insight into how businesses run and I got, and got friendly with a chap called Darren, who was the business owner and he had um, he had a big uh, company employing hundreds of people, and he had a a fifteen year uh, celebration dinner at the Grove, and invited me there. And I, he was just about to go and do a big speech, and um, I'll always remember this because we were in the uh, in the gents together having a, a a whiz, and he looked over and said to me, "Mate, this will be you soon. This will be you one day." And when someone gives you that confidence. A vote of confidence where you don't expect it, I think it it really plants a seed. Especially from someone that's established. Yeah, someone you respect, someone you've established. Yep. And I feel like that that's all sometimes I think the power of words and what people say is sometimes not really appreciated to this in you know, it's 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 full meaning because yep. I I think back on that day a lot. You remember it, silly clearly stands out. So I think being aware of what you say to people and when you say I think it can have a really telling impact mm. uh, on their journey yeah. and their self-belief and their self-esteem. Um, I didn't know what, when he said it, I don't know, I couldn't visualise what exactly what I was going to be or do or, 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 or say. And I have, certainly haven't, you know, stood in front of several hundred employees of my 15-year company anniversary yet. But, you know, the sentiment was there and it, it definitely helped to light the fire. Yeah. Um, and so then that that brings me on. It was actually that building where who for whom I was working for in Soho, um, where I met the um, the chance meeting of of meeting a chap called Richard, who was the managing agent of the building. And uh, I think he I think we were in the lift together, and he apologised because there was no toilet roll in the building. And I was like, it's all good, don't worry about that. And then I said, do you know what? Actually, my mate Dave's got a company, uh, one man band down in Southampton, and he he, he supplies toilet roll. I'll give him a shout. Yeah. And he did. And um, and Dave, great business development, great people person. And he, he, him and Richard did business shortly thereafter. That's right, into business. Um, and then Richard had a, a portfolio of, of other buildings in London and was like, rolled it out yeah. um, to, 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 to Dave. And Dave was like, mate, that's amazing. Cheers for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you want to do that full time? And so that was kind of in the summer of 2009. And... Um, Dave was just a one-man band. He was a 
professional footballer as well. So, uh, not as well, he was a professional footballer, played for Saints and then went into the conference, made a really good living for his 20s. But again, he didn't never, never wanted to go full time. Yeah. So he was kind of, he needed to fill his time with something else. And, you know, he, he had a, a shed in his parents' back garden full of sort of else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had a couple of contracts, just easy, kind of just fulfilling that in his spare time. Uh, and then I made him quite busy with with this connection I made for Impl- like working for him or just you know as a friend connection. Oh, just a friend. He was like, yeah. "Shall I? Shall I do you want commission or how do you want to get paid?" And I was like, "Mate, just whatever. It, it comes out in the wash." And then we kept in touch, and I was like, "I think I'm going to do this full time." And this was in the summer of 2009. Mm. So I started doing loads of research. I was going to the British Library and uh, learning about business, reading books. I met with a, a former Dragons Den. Um, panelist called Rachel Elnor and I said I think I'm going to join my mate and I think I'm going to start a janitorial supplies business with him or I'm going to join his business so at the time it was just Dave it was just a sort of part-time business for him and we talked about how I'd do it and she said well you know how are you going to be different and I was like I'm not I'm just going to do what they're doing and started putting up loads of websites for the existing janitorial (laughs) supplies company as you can imagine were beige I mean early mid 2000 early kind of mid 2000 like to 2005 2006 websites were not bright they were not transparent they were not sexy they were not you know i think a lot of them still today are not, <laughs> I like know. that to be honest especially in the you know the janitorial cleaning space i think they are and she said to me be the opposite yeah be different mm. like call yourself bog and roll or dave and ollie call yourself something different like be colorful be brash be out there otherwise you're never going to stand out i was like cool that sounds good so then I got another mate who was in um, in uh, doing graphic design at St Martin's, and I said, you know, can any chance you can do our our branding as part of your project, as your you know, as your as your coursework? And so he did that. And that was fun. Um, and then it came to the crunch. Really, I was living in my mate's bedroom in Canary Wharf, um, and I said to my current employees, I said, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go on my own, give it, a, give it a crack. So I met Dave in Sainsbury's uh, up on the A2 next to the um, next to the O2, and he said, "Well, I can't pay you. I've got no money. Yeah. But if you can develop enough business to bring in enough money to pay you in six months, I'll give you half the business." I was like, "Deal, fine." Um, so I went back to my little bedroom and just pulled up my computer and just cold called everything within a 15 mile radius of where his unit was, yeah. his, his shed. It was a, by that time it was a 20 foot shipping container. And so I just cold called. I had no idea what I was selling or how to sell it or, or how to sell. So I was selling on price, yeah. which happens to be good timing. There's a little bit of luck, a bit of kind of um, serendipity there, if you like, because it, it was just after the crash, wasn't it? Financial crash 2009, people were buying on price. People yeah. were looking to save money. So with me on the phone saying, you no, know. I'll save you a few pounds of yeah, pence. I mean, embarrassing way to sell now, but at the time, I had no idea what else to say. No website, no branding, no nothing. Just everyone early days is like that, though, aren't they? Exactly. Really. I think you, know. you do. Uh, I, I can remember when we started, you know, what separated us from Joe Blogs down the road? Price, predominantly. Um, because we didn't have the infrastructure, we didn't have a unit like we're sitting in now, we didn't have the vans, etc. It was just me, my brother and dad just going around in a van. So you've got that luxury, haven't you? And if you're working from your friend's shed in his back garden or, you know, a shipping container, you haven't got them overhead. So you can afford that, right? Yeah, totally. And and we, we were naive and very keen as well. So you're kind of driven by just 
wow, someone wants to do business with us. And you're so excited by that, that you deliver a gold standard service just because you've, you want to just impress upon them that you're grateful for them buying from you. And we realized that we'd set quite a high bar of, of customer service yep. just because we were just keen as mustard yep. and really naive. It's a good way to start that. A, a really good way to start, you know. And so that's something which I think is ingrained in the DNA of the business now is that kind of, you know, if we can deliver like a, a white glove experience where you're like, we really care about you. And if you want us to go the extra mile, then just say, because you know we're going to do it. Um, difficult as you scale, of course. But but you know, I think everyone sees Dave and I working hard and pretty committed, and I think that does rub off and creates a culture. Um, so yeah, to cut a long story short, uh, just did the did the six months that worked out really well. Um, so there was enough money in it, and you know, uh, I was driving out to Hampshire from East London every day at like four in the morning to beat the traffic, load a van, drive back to East London, kind of mid morning. Um, smash the phone in the afternoon, uh, rinse and repeat. Yeah, you know, um, getting myself into debt. Um, didn't have any cash, didn't have any savings. Was just like buying all my groceries on credit card, um, and yeah, just doing it all wrong basically. But I just believed in what we're doing. Um, you hit that fifty percent. You hit the target, and you were bought in fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then I moved out to Hampshire. Um, to Fleet where I am now, which is, you know, 10 minutes from the unit. Um, my wife, Anthea, was commuting to London still for her job in the city. Wow. So it's perfect release, 40 minutes, yep. one stop. So it takes a, a big box there. It was feasible to do that. Mm. And then with that base, a bit more, those foundations laid, we could really kind of crack on a bit and start building a brand, start building processes and, you know, a customer base. Yep. So that was that particular moment. That's where Source was born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Source had been born in 2005 with Dave just kind of okay. plodding as a as yeah. a one man band, mm-hmm. just kind of a lifestyle business. That's and when you two got together. 2010. That's when it started, kind of in earnest, if you like. Yeah. So for those of the, those of you that obviously don't, I see your stuff and, and we've spoken on several occasions. For those of the viewing that don't know what Source is, tell us what Source does. Yeah. So we we're the delivery arm for a lot of. Um, commercial cleaning companies and facility management companies. So um, we have a warehouse full of uh, janitorial supplies, toilet rolls, cleaning chemicals, textiles, etc., and a fleet of vans. Um, the company will order to us. We'll um, pick and pack it, and we'll ship it to the destination, which is their client site. Yeah. And so their client site, you know, uh, could be anywhere in the UK, but generally is kind of south southeast. Midlands really and we're doing that legwork for them yep. so we're, we're kind of their third party or we're their partner in in delivery um and so one customer a big contract cleaner might have 200 client sites and so we're just buzzing around doing their you know replenishing their consumables yep. um all their materials which they're using to clean the pro- property with um so that's the bulk of our business um but then we do have kind of what we call an end user, say a college or a school or just a business that's buying direct from us yep. rather than us being a kind of intermediate. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Mm. Um, so, that, and that's a big part of our business as well, really. Um, but yeah, essentially we just, yeah, we're, we're just moving products made to be um, as efficiently and as fast as possible, really. So you and Dave have now got to, you know, got sourced to a, 
a nice size, you know, well-known supplier, one we've seen plenty of your content on social media. So what was that journey like in scale from, you know, when you two got together to sort of scaling to the size you are now? Was that a, an interesting journey? Oh, it's been Smooth? really fun. Honestly, Chris, it's been so fun. And me and Dave get on really well. So first of all, that, the, the reason why that works is because we, we have a dovetailing set of skills. So he's operationally genius, yep. financially incredible. Um, and then I'm the other side of the, the sorry, um, I'm on the marketing side of things and, and kind of, I don't know really what I do. I need to probably figure out my definition. <laughs> I have that all the time, don't worry. Yeah. But on, Everything uh, else that yeah, Dave does. Yeah, uh, what he doesn't do, I'll, I'll pick up the yeah. slack. Um, and so there's a very complimentary, um, you know, set of skills there which which i think is the secret sauce definitely did you did you know that from the outset when you sort of working together that there was that you I knew, both had opposing skills that would yes make you a complete package it, it was clear very quickly good it was clear very quickly and you know still to this day like i had to fill a statement of means in just for our bank yesterday and i was like dave can you fill this in for me yeah. <laughs> it was all my stuff yeah, sure. do you know what i mean there is you know that but you know that there is it's um it's give and take like there there's, there's parts of the business which he doesn't want to touch yeah. and can't touch or you know doesn't have any interest in touching and that's my bag really i think that's i think for me that's key to anyone that's looking to start a business or that's in the cleaning industry you know janitorials or any industry about your business partner and making sure your skill sets are different because you get people you know starting businesses with their friends etc which is okay if you, if you know you're pulling if you've got the skill sets and you know they're synergistic and you know one's strong in one area one's the other because if you're both doing the same thing and you know there's that crossover and it, it doesn't really work and I, I, we've i think we've had it where just understanding who's doing what and whose skill set is where will only help in terms of scaling um, it's definitely something that you know keep aware of for me um, because it gives lots of benefits and say and then stuff you can't do your business partner can and vice versa and if if it's not a business partner, then it's just a, a matter of delegating yeah, someone you people. trust. And I think you know, if it's it would scare the life out of me to feel like I was in business on my own. Yeah, and not because I I know my weaknesses. Yep. And I think you know, sign of maturity over the course of you know, running a business for thirteen years is be honest about your weaknesses mm -hmm. and address them and find a way to get those seen to. Yeah. Focus on what you're good at. And that's where it comes into our business. Like, I think we've got a really core group of people that, you know, I'm, neither of us are afraid to admit are much better at doing it than we are. Yeah. Uh, that's the key. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, people might be looking to start a business and they feel like they need a business partner who is doing all the stuff that they can't do particularly well. I mean, that's that's the holy grail, if you yeah. can, you know, because you've both got skin in the game and you've, it's going to be really a good synergy. But, you know, next best thing is just to make sure that, you know, if you are the only business owner, you, you recognise that there's a few holes in, in 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 your ability and plug them with people that you know are essentially a lot better than you. That's yeah, their thing. That's, that's, that's the their key, bank. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Getting people that are better than you at certain tasks so they can do it, you know, yeah. better than than you would be able to. And not, you know, some business owners think they know everything. It's very difficult to wear all them hats, keep all them spades pinning. Eventually, one will fall. Because I've done that in the early days, thinking, oh, I know everything. I can do that, I can do that, I can do the accounts, I can do the market. And something's always given. You just can't give your attention to everything, can you? So entrepreneurship, you're, you're at Source, you and Dave. 
has that been a smooth journey? What have been some of the the ups and downs? Tell me, tell me, you're the lowest of the low points that you've you've had with Source. I'd say so. We always had economies of scale in mind that what we do it doesn't really work it's really low margin mm-hmm. you know as soon as you start your costs are always getting higher with growth yeah so it's a double-edged sword you know you get a new contract in or a, a new chunk of business and you have to pay for that stock up front yeah um or you, you have to pay for it before you get paid uh, and then you need more infrastructure you need more vehicles you need more people and so you never really see the money yeah because you're always on a trajectory if you're growing and it as much as you're turning over more money, your costs are increasing. And that can be a little bit, I think I was pretty despondent because I thought if we get to this number, I'll see this amount of return. Yeah. But you never really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of like, where are we going? And David would say to me, right, if we get to 50 grand a month, we get to 100 grand a month, you know, this time next year, Rodney. Yeah. You know, it was one <laughs> yeah. of them all the time. And I had this little bit of paper on the back of my door and we had uh, just written in kind of marker pen, like 50 grand, uh, per month is this and then we had 100 and 150 and we had 200 grand it was just all the different kind of markers to aim for and it's almost like when we get there you know we've made it yeah totally and very quickly we got to a million um town turnover like within a year i think it was and then we grew for the for 10 years on the trot by half a million quid every wow. year well done. you know and that was just through organic yeah um just doing things well and being consistent mm. um, and making quite a lot of cold calls in the early days and building relationships. That, was that your route to market, cold call? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't do any paid marketing, didn't do any um, AdWords or anything like that. It was all just picking up the telephone, having a conversation, just trying to get to the, to, to, to the decision maker, you know, and building a relationship, a bit of trust um, and, and, you know, let the rest of the team... Um, kind of build on that, yeah. you know, through their delivery touch points and invoicing and administration. You know, it was kind of me that would open it and then hand it over, and they would do a great job. So you would, you would personally do all your cold calls. Yeah, all all the cold calls. Yeah, I mean, that's again, maybe we're, I mean, a bit old school, but that's one of my bugbears is 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 people of a of a younger generation, not all of them, um, but defaulting to a digital means of contact social before. selling emails or yeah or if you know you say so oh, can you give that guy a call and just let him know and then you realize that that was interpreted as just contact them any way you yeah. see fit and they've emailed them and i think there's a totally different outcome yeah there's a totally there's an opportunity to build a relationship as soon as you hit hit the phone whereas on an email i'm just like you know i think that's that's a, that's a formality which should should back up the first choice of comms which is a phone call yeah um, and so that's what I did really, um, just cold calling every day and, and, you know, I really got, you know, a bit of a buzz off it. Yeah. Uh, you know, you st- again, a bit like with video editing, I was a bit of a kind of student. I'd read books and things like Richard Denny selling to win and you'd try all those techniques, you know, it's amazing just reading a book and then trying it the next day and like, wow, that actually works. Yeah. yeah it's really exciting. Um, and then, um, yes, yeah, so we just kept growing. And then to answer your question though, the kind of because I think you know we're always we're always going to ask these guests that, you know this particular question. <laughs> Entrepreneurship is a great journey. It's really interesting. You get to meet some fantastic people, and there you know there are some real high points. Um, I think you know 
with the pressures of social media, we don't necessarily say, well, actually, there is a, another side of this. And we're going to talk about work-life balance as well, which is, you know, uh, another area which can have its ebbs and flows. But, yeah, what's what's been a particular – I mean, the common one we're having is obviously COVID. Um, no, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say there's two things. Um, until COVID – you know, there was times the money was really tight. Mm, you know, cash flow. Yeah, cash flow. And Dave's doing an amazing job juggling those books and, and kind of keeping us going. Um, I suppose, because janitorial supplies, I suppose, like a cleaning business, predominantly you're co- you're, you've got that high labour percentage, haven't you? But you've also got stock on top of that that you've got to hold in your warehouse that a cleaning company maybe doesn't have. And then you've got your overheads of your deliveries, so your vans, you know, your unit that you've got to keep everything in. So I imagine it's... It's heavy. It's yeah, I can imagine. And the costs can easily spiral out of control. Yeah. You know, and then that's your net profit gone just because you've made a mistake on a delivery. And without kind of, you know, we are not perfect. You know, we do our best. Yeah, of course. But, you know, we do leak a fair bit of profit just from human error. And that's, and that is just law of averages. You can't take that away. You can't eliminate that at all. We do, we have upgraded to, to some, you know, automation and software to, to to help with that but but one of the things which which to answer your question that so the money it has been tight but i'd say the main the main um thing i'd look back on as the lowest point was a culture thing like we got too, we got too big okay I, th- I think in hindsight before covid i think we were possibly on the brink of overtrading. Right. You know, people wanted to give us more sites, more sites. What do you do in a contract cleaner? You've got 100 sites with, it says, I'm going to give you another 30. Yeah. You have to then inv- reinvest in your infrastructure to be able to deliver that yeah. extra 30. So it's a, it's a poison chalice. Mm. And what happened was we ended up getting up to like 35 staff. And for us, I think that was way above and beyond the sweet spot. And there became pockets of employees at law of averages you put 35 people in a room some are going to get on some not right and some are going to be good eggs some are going to be yep, bad eggs definitely. and i feel like what we built at this kind of really friendly matey almost like family-like atmosphere just became a little bit toxic okay and changing a culture is scary it's difficult mm. and i didn't know how i was going to do it how did you do it this, this is the, actually this is this is uh, Funny you say that. You're, I think you're a little bit ahead of me in terms of how long you've been in business. And we've been eight years now. And I think that's something that we need to change. Culture. I think it's quite a big thing and people overlook it quite easily. But if you've got a solid culture and your core values and everyone is pulling in the direction of those core values, it, it forms in your training, your staff induction. And like you say, having that good you know, company culture is key. It's a big thing you see on social now. People, you know, leave because of poor culture. So how did how did you rectify that? Well, it's not perfect at the moment, um, but it's a work in progress. And I think even just recognizing it is is healthy. Yeah, and, I agree. You know, even small changes, and you know, I speak to to some of our team, and even the smallest things that I could have done would have made a big difference to them. Like Give me an example. Just appreciating their work. Okay. Yeah. You know. Um, you know, recognizing saying thank you or you know just giving them the the approval um that takes seconds mm. you know but there's also um where where we got to covid came at the right time okay that's interesting it did because it enabled us to 
reevaluate who we wanted in the business. Um, some people's journey with us came to a natural end because, yep. you know, it was pre furlough. And so we, we didn't know that was coming down the line. So we're like, well, we need to make some decisions, tough yeah. decisions, right? And it, it was one of those conversations where there was a handful of people who we knew were um, not particularly healthy to have around the business where we just thought this is a good opportunity yep. to, 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 to invest in our team that we want to stay by giving them the, 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 the financial incentive to go. Yep. And so then they, they were then out of the business. And we became over COVID a really tight family because we were, a bit like yourself, a, a key worker essentially. Yep. You know, we had to go to the office, we had to deliver to the police force, we had to deliver to um, you know, nursing homes, we had to deliver to all sorts of places. So we were we were there front and center seven days a week in our warehouse and it was crazy like it was like a trading floor we were like trying to buy alcohol gel from turkey we were trying to buy you know ppe from places we were doing but everyone in that team kind of gelled to a point where i think there's a bond there that is is timeless yeah yeah i think there was a lot of we were the same we were quite lucky people think oh you must have you know it must have been manic through covid it was, but a lot of our stuff is commercial work. So if no one's going in the office, mm. they don't need an office cleaned. But we were quite fortunate. We worked with a large care home provider. So that kept us going. But again, it just goes back to the recognition that of what we actually, companies did, especially cleaning, janitorial companies, did through COVID. And it was a good time to, obviously like you guys at Source have, to take a step back, reset and go, right, actually, you know, this is amalgamated in a really tight team now and you've took that team moving forward and, could, and then you can you can you know you've cut out the bad bad eggs if you want to mm. call them that mm. and you're going to get them over in every business but then you've developed and and you've kept that culture going which i think is the is the key part i think there's a few takeaways from it really in that there's a sweet spot for every business a, so, a certain size and you know bigger isn't better like yeah. we i didn't know where it was going to stop if covid didn't come along because we'd have been keep going and going and going I think it would have been, I don't think it, it would have been a better business today had it not been for the opportunity to reset. I, I was on a podcast with um, with James Sinclair, a well-renowned entrepreneur, and he said to me, what's your goal for the business? And I said, oh, well, I just want to grow it. And he's sort of like, okay, well, why? And I didn't really have an answer, if I'm honest. You know, it's just something that happens in the background. It keeps growing. But I think that's a pragmatic and sensible approach that you've taken to say, actually, you know, we're going to keep growing. We're going to have more and more staff. It's not as controllable. As we, so that then, you know, that we're possibly risking service levels just as a, a just to keep going. Then you damage your reputation and it's just, you, you end up coming backwards, don't you? So it's good to accept that actually maybe this is our sweet spot and this is where we operate best. I totally agree. I think if you can catch yourself and always ask yourself, is this going to devalue my product? Yeah. You know, is this growth going to be harmful for culture, for the other customers that have been loyal to us mm. all the way? Do they deserve uh, a lesser level of performance? You know, are this team going to be stressed? Is the warehouse going to be big enough? Yeah. You know, are we just putting more components under pressure for what? You know, and so that that kind of analysis is only really afforded to you if you have kind of... Um, just a, some sort of penny dropping moment where yeah. you just realize actually what we're we growing for just like you said yeah you know and if you can't answer that question 
Um, so the way we would do it is we'd rather say, well, this is our level, you know, we turn over X amount and that we want to be the best supplier of that size in the industry. Yeah. And there you can then work around that, 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 what that looks like in terms of turnover staff. You can start trying to save money in places. You can start trying to buy better. Yeah. You can uh, then focus on the people a bit more. Um, if you're always growing, you're always adding more complications into into the mix yeah. and you never really have a chance to step away look in on the business from the outside because you're always in it doing stuff yeah you're always firefighting aren't you or growing or wondering yeah. you know training that person or new materials or new vans etc so you don't get that bird's eye view of it do you? i learned that from a long time uh, a long time ago when um i used to be part of this um kind of sales and marketing thing called the entrepreneur circle and he would always ask me are you working on the business or are you working in the business? Yep. You know, and I think that's again goes back to Dave and I in that there's a bit of a, a marriage there, whereas I'll be on it and Dave's in it. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, a good kind of balance to get. Yeah. So we spoke about some tough, tough times which is comes within every business. What's been the pivotal moment that you is that you look back on and think, Wow, I'm I'm really proud of what we've achieved there. And then say that can be you know, a long-term vision that you've got to where you are today or is it a specific moment in time that you can recall and go, oh, you know, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my business career? I'd probably say, I'd probably say getting to the million pound turnover because we won Toast of Surrey, which is the business awards. Yeah. Best business up to a million pound turnover and the feeling of imposter syndrome was off the scale. We were in a room in our dicky bows and everything and, and, we couldn't believe it. We were we were drinking champagne from the bottle in the front row. You know, we were just, you know, <laughs> they were thinking, "Is that a sauce lot?" Yeah, and we couldn't believe it. Wow, we've been given a business award by business people who came to our unit. They had to step through potholes and in a derelict shed where there's a pig running around. They were like, "What have we come to?" Yeah. But they gave us the win, and we and that's when Dave and I thought, "Wow, we're we're faking it till we're making it." Yeah. but may, maybe you know, actually, we're onto something. And I look back, there's a relatively kind of romantic kind of memory attached to that because it's just such an innocent time, mm. you know, and we got there quite quickly. Um, I never thought we would. And so I remember just the, the absolute happiness of getting that award is so, so um, satisfying. When you got to a million pound in revenue, we're a seven-figure business now. Um, how quickly, I thought, when I get, we said we've covered this before, I thought, right, when I get to here, you know, you said about you had the, the sticker on the door saying, right, if we do 100K or uh, 50K in, a month in revenue, you know, we've made it. Um, I felt the same. And when we got a contract that took us over that million, the, sort of the next day it was, you know, business, business as usual, you know. We have a business partner and he was one of our customers and he said to us, he's like, lads, just stop what you're doing and recognise when you hit that milestone. Because mm. he would come in the office and see the stuff and he'd be like, when you get there, stop, go for a a drink, whatever, how you want to celebrate, just recognize it. Yeah. And it's really good advice because it was business usual the next day. Yeah. And we were back then, the little trophies on the side and you go again and just got a sore head. I, I, I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you need to um, stop and recognize your achievements um, for what they are. Um, and that's a really good, he healthy thing to do because without that, you're just coasting or you're onto the next thing and you don't really enjoy them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so there's been a few of those along the way like we ended up picking up some more awards and you know um but never felt as as good as the first one yeah you know it was really it was like we arrived really 
Um, and then more recently, stuff we did with COVID was 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 you know quite wholesome. You know, the amount of product we ended up getting through Dave's wheeling dealing, which ended up going to some really critical places. Um, and then rebranding recently was 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 probably quite a um, another kind of um, a key moment yeah. in the business. Really, I think recognizing the need to to evolve. You've grown. And that's quite, you know, that's a lot of change there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of push pull kind of going on in that scenario with people in the business. And, you know, by and large, you know, it was a pretty seamless process. It could have been kind of a, a bit of a, a butting of heads there, yeah. but people trusted me and, and Dave and, and went with it and, um, you know, repositioning ourselves as a more sustainable company and actually following that up with, with much more conscious buying decisions, um, operating decisions, um, you know, we're walking the walk, but that, 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 that was a bit of a, a shift. Yeah. It, you know, it needed, it needed a quite a long transition period and a lot of planning. Um, but I think we just recognized that there was a demand for it. Um, I feel like our brand was getting a little bit tired. It could do, it could do with a refresh. And I feel like it was the perfect time just to evolve and, 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 take the source to the next stage of his life next stage. so how me and ollie met and the reason he's predominantly on here is um on social you know we try and put out a lot of content and i would say ollie is one of those people in the professional cleaning janitorial space that does content well and caught my eye so that's um you know while he's while he's here yeah you know it's, it's few and far between in our industry for people to do well so what got you into your content journey what made you want to start that particular piece yeah, so it was COVID really. Um, uh, I've always been interested in media and video and photography. And I think um, I saw an opportunity to combine work with a hobby. Yeah. And, you know. It was, I would say I'm exactly the same. It, it was a good way to kind of think to, you know, maybe I'd been in the business quite a long time and I was looking around for the next kind of, you know, um, thing to, 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 to strike a fire within me. And in hindsight, maybe I was getting a little bit, stale and i needed to bring a different dimension to my role and so i thought well let's i think someone said to me and it really rang a bell it was years ago we were in a, a tell me economy yeah you know it was go and meet someone tell them about something walk away and they've been told now we're in a show me economy people want to see it and move on and yep. they see it through their phones or whatever it is now and so there therein was the idea of video show me show them what we've got and so kind of when we had the um the products in covid a lot of them were were, were based around um the electrostatic sprayers yeah, which yeah. Those green sprayers sure, yeah. and with that came um some guidance on how to use them and i didn't really know what i was talking about to be honest but i just thought there's some potential here to 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 show people how to use them without having to do it every single time so yep. it's all about building a library so i didn't have to keep repeating myself you know so we'd sell these products everywhere and then we'd get a phone call going yeah how do i do that and i'd be like well um do you want to facetime me or uh should i just yeah, tell I suppose you you couldn't do that face-to-face -face, you know training either when so you're i just thought well, if i do a video on it yeah. i'd be like it's gonna be so much more efficient and so i ended up just putting it on youtube and you know something as as, in, as innocuous as like how to fill a tank yeah it was like getting 60,000, 70,000 views, you know, because what you know, you assume everyone else knows, or they just need a bit of a 
a guide or a bit of reassurance, they'll just go on YouTube and they'll search it because they want to use this product and spray and keep everyone healthy and, you know, reduce cross-infection. But, you know, there seemed to be an appetite for it. Um, And so I just taught myself. I started on my phone with just like a little stand, you know, um, no mic, no lighting, no nothing. And then a bit like I mentioned earlier, you know, there was a student in me that was ready to be taught and I was a sponge and I'd yep. be on YouTube. Oh, wow. Okay. I need to buy these lights. I need to, you know, I need to get this camera. I need to get this mic. And, you know, I feel like my production value needed to be improved to get more, more views, but that wasn't the case because people were still viewing stuff, which was filmed on a phone oh. and with no mic and with bad lighting. Yeah, I think it goes back to, you know, get, you get started with anything as long as yeah. your content's relevant and it's relatable to people, people will watch. Totally. And I th- so, and I'd had no structure really. I just knew that what the objective of the video was, I need to tell people how to do this, yep. you know, and that was really the kind of the, the main structure of any video it was like, well, how many times can I make a video about this one product, you know, and then I'll just inquire with the team about the, about the questions they had coming in and that would then provide the content. You know, if I had the same question a few times about how long does battery last? Yeah. That's a video. Yeah. And so then I started building up this content and, um, gradually becoming more and more uh, proficient at the editing, um, just spending, I still do, just spend my, my spare time watching YouTube videos on how to you know, edit and how to shoot and just kind of about content. And um, and then I realised that, yeah, I was maybe I'd found a little niche. I'd found a, a fresh passion within the business that, that kind of gave me another, another kind of head of steam to, to kind of, being around the business in a different capacity. Um, And at the same time, it had value for our customers and beyond. I mean, a lot of the stuff I do is, is, is not seen by my customers. The the, the wider audience aren't done even buy anything from Mm. us, but it it helps get, get me known to other people, which then in itself presents more opportunities. So it goes back around to, to what I said at the, at the earlier, earlier in the conversation about, you never know who's watching. Yeah. And that, is now transferred into video because mm. there's people that have contacted me through getting to know me and the well, business yeah. through the video. I think that's almost in their minds a pre-qualification. So a lot of the work's done already by the time they meet you. You've already done Even though you've never spoke, you've always already developed that relationship. Exactly. You? It's an evolution of actually our website. From the early days, I said, let's be transparent. Let's put me and you, it's me and Dave, on the side of the vans on the website not because we want to get famous we just want to give trust and full transparency to the people before they do business with us so if we can do a lot of that legwork first a lot of that relationship building when it comes to closing it's going to be a shorter cycle yeah Um, and i think that's that's evolved into video now and it I think still that that, that, that that bears fruit. Has it has it brought you? Because interest I've mentioned on the on the on the show before. It's done wonders for me as a personal brand and getting me known within the industry. Has it brought a direct ROI? Sure, we've had leads from our videos. I wouldn't say it's paid for its an entirety yet, but do you find it brings you new business? Is that a good revenue you know revenue stream for you? It brings people in the door. Yeah, it has. Good. Definitely. There's no, no two ways about it. I mean, I won't give too much away, no, but, but, but there is, if you're looking for a direct metric, like, a, uh, I've spent this on this video and I need to see that back, uh, through inbound calls, yeah. then you're going to do It's not quantifiable, is it? 
it, what you said earlier, it's building a trust, it's building a brand, it's building, um, it's building uh, familiarity with you and your company. And, but yeah, there's, there's a pretty significant chunk of our turnover, which I can attribute to people coming to us through video. Yeah. Uh, and it might not be an instant, I've seen your video, can we do business? Yeah. It's more a case of um, they might want to uh, do a supplier relationship with us. And then in turn, that leads to a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Or it might be, um, you know, access to a product, which, you know, is, is, is again, you know, a, a very positive move. Or it might just be good old fashioned business where they come to us and said, I really like what, what you do. Let's talk. Can you supply us? But that probably is the third, you know, in the line of, in the queue really of, of how it works. Yeah. Um, I think it's, um, it's not for everyone and you've got to understand what you want out of it. And if your expectations are for a clear and obvious return on investment on the bottom line as a direct result of this video or this playlist of videos, then in our industry, I feel like you've really got to have some mega content. Yeah, I've got some ideas on and seen people in the States who have got some incredible content mainly around before and after. So okay. it's the work you do yeah. is incredible in terms of it. it's people love before and after mm. stuff. That is, that is huge. Um, the potential there in the cleaning industry, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, they, sure. and, uh, it's untapped in this country. Yeah. You know, okay. th there's people out in the States you know, on YouTube, there's a guy I follow, he's got 700,000 subscribers and all he does is clear people's driveways yeah. with a pressure washer and, a, and, 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 you know, he's on a million views. Yeah. You know, so that's extremely lucrative. So the cat's out of the bag. Don't go and do it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think, you know, we're missing, a, I think the industry is missing a trick because I don't know if that's because our industry leads, should we say, or people that have been in the industry a long time, they've never really known that and the sort of that generational shift going on. Um, but I still think there are certain companies that do it well. Obviously, you do it fantastically as well, but there's still such a market out there. I think, you know, cleaning companies think putting a stock image from Canva you know, of someone, you know, cleaning a desk or whatever counts as good social media. And if, you know, you look at the, some of the well-established content creators in all fields, you know, they're out there. I say the States are well ahead of us on that, but there's definitely plenty of money left on the table. Huge, yeah. huge. And if I look at some of the metrics that from the posts I do, it's the visual stuff and the people stuff. Mm. Like if we talk, if we show the team or it's, it's in and around our warehouse or, People are just nosy yeah. and like flying drones through yeah, your warehouse. Yeah, yeah. He needs to up his drone. That wasn't me. Skills. That wasn't me. That was James. <laughs> Big plug for James. James Ariel. He did an amazing job. But that that one gets loads of views because people are curious. People like to see inside behind the scenes, and I've, I'm cool with that. I think that's yeah. great. You're building a, a relationship that familiarity, which I feel is just a rubber stamp on on what you do. But there's you know the content out there and the cleaning. If you think about cleaning. You're taking something from a a bad state into a good state. And that transition is fascinating for people. There's yeah. an appetite online. You know, YouTube really rewards that content, you know, because people love it. You know, sometimes you can't wait and you scrub to the end to see the afters, you know what I mean? And, you know, that there's, we're an industry which is absolutely crying out to be documented by video. I agree. Um, and it's so powerful. Yeah. 
So, so it's, it's obviously done wonders for your business in terms of you know getting relationships in, which is what it's there for eventually. But I think people want to see a direct result straight away, don't they? And it's yeah. definitely not like that. But. Totally, you know. And th- th- I'm not even. I'm for me, I'm dissatisfied with my output. Mm. You know, my content. You know, I'm never. I feel like I'm. I haven't got enough out there. I yeah. feel like I've you know left so many videos unedited and and unshot. You know, I've got so many things I'd love to see and do and shoot. You know, and hopefully you know i can i can rejig my time in order to produce what i want to do um you know the potential is is yeah is unreal and, and hopefully uh other other people in the business are are also investing in it and seeing in the potential because it, it, it's a good opportunity yeah. so you've got source which obviously is, is doing fantastic you're putting out your content you're a busy guy obviously like most entrepreneurs so Let's talk a little bit about work-life balance. So my view on work-life balance is probably mm, is probably classed as toxic masculinity in terms of I think to achieve well in your industry, work-life balance is near on impossible in my eyes. That's just my personal opinion. Shoot me down if you want. You know, if you want to be, if you want to grow to, you know, mid seven-figure business you've got to put the hours in and and sometimes you know getting that work-life balance is nigh on impossible for me personally is it a case of i need to structure better maybe that's debatable um but i think i'm still in the infancy of our business and and pushing it so that takes priority over other stuff and i've mentioned on um some of our content for you know trying to even down to like the gym just making time to get into the gym sometimes it just doesn't happen and that fall by the wayside because i've got a tender to get back or whatever it may be it's important of course um and maybe where you are within your business career you've now got your sweet spot with source and you've learned all because i say you're a little bit ahead of the game in terms of where we are but yeah tell me a little bit about your approach to work-life balance what your views are on it and how you find it if if indeed you, you do well, first of all, it's an ongoing challenge, but being aware of it mm. now, I think, is 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 the main uh, critical aspect of work life work life balance. Um, I think where you are right now, and people that are still striving to get to a certain place, there's no substitute for the graft, putting the time in, you know, and you can't necessarily do some of the things you want to do because you're on a mission yeah. and I, I would never want to clip the wings of someone who is, who is on that journey. Um, that momentum takes a lot of kind of, um, you know, spirit to, to, to kind of muster and, you know, be a, it'd be crime to kind of say, well, step back a little bit. Mm. Cause when you're on that journey, you really, you're enjoying what you do. And if you're enjoying it, it it's good for you, surely. Um, but I think when, when, uh, when you have different, kind of um components in your life like your kids or you know your marriage or your friends or you know your family whatever there comes a point where you do say well what's the cost yeah i get that and um you know there there, there could be uh, moments in time where you're like well i've, I've probably misordered the priority here um because you've got a load of glass balls you're juggling and when one smashes it's time to evaluate well, why did it smash because i had that ball in the air when it doesn't even deserve to be kind of in in the juggling set it's yep. just it's in there for whatever reason um 
So I think when you've got your own thing going, it's difficult to step back, as I mentioned earlier, and recognise the signs where you'd probably be better at what you did if you did go to the gym that day. You know, for me, exercise should be, should be and has to be a non-negotiable. Yeah. You know, um, because I get, my family get the best version of me, I get the best version of myself, and the business does as well. Mm. If if I don't exercise, I feel like, um, yeah, I, I feel uh, a, a much... You're getting an inferior product out of yourself. Totally. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, there's no adrenaline, there's no, you know, cortisone going from my veins, there's no... Yeah, um, there's no, uh, there's just, there's no, there's no freshness coming from me. Mm. I, and I feel like I need to prioritize that over everything and then I can be productive and I can be, you know, um, more balanced and more, more measured in what I do. Um, and so you mentioned earlier about kind of a toxic kind of masculinity and I've, I've been helped with that recently. My mate Dan Stanley has written a book on it. I've read his book. And it's fascinating. I'm open to, actually, I'm, I was hoping to have him on the podcast yeah we'll get to we're going to eventually get down to wales because there's a few big uh, cleaning entrepreneurs yeah. that i would like to get hold of uh, down in wales um so i'm hoping we will, yeah we will speak to him he's a great guy and he's on to something because i think there is there's a blueprint which i think we all follow just because you know we're naturally led into traditional methods mm, and yeah. ways of thinking sure. and i'm all for kind of um you know just having a different opinion on something or a different view on something. Yeah. Um, and and I, I feel, I feel, um, I've got two kids, six and five, uh, and it, that time's going really quickly. Yeah. And so being at work at eight o'clock in the morning or earlier or jumping on my computer in my at home, does it really need to take precedent over being on the school run? Yeah. Cause they're not going to want me on the school run soon, mm. you know? Um, and I'm essentially my own boss. I can do the school run. No yeah. one's saying, got a bit of work at nine yeah so why am i not taking the opportunity you know so i just feel like um i feel like there's definitely the ability for for me to balance but i don't always take that yeah uh, and it's yeah, i'm always reassessing why i don't um it goes quite deep actually into 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 much more complex territory of how we're wired but um you know i feel like uh I feel if you want longevity, the balance is is critical. Um, Have you ever got to a point where you you've you're, you've worked so you've worked basically you burn out you've worked too? Have you got have you got yeah, to that definitely. point? I think I have. I had definitely. that around a year ago. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, COVID was pretty intense to be honest. Yep. You know, I started having a beer in the evenings with a couple of glasses of wine, and it was like this is not good. Mm. You know, you would just be full tilt all day yeah. and you know I wasn't exercising and you know uh, and then healthy body healthy mind an old saying is so true you know um and yeah so I think I definitely reached a bit of a a, a point there where um I needed to kind of step back and read the signs yeah um and hopefully now I, I I'm aware of those but before it gets too late again um, yeah and you, you know but yeah, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. I think it's a conversation which should always be had. I, I'm really pleased that you know mental health is becoming much more of a of a of a easy conversation to have. Mm. Um, but it's a difficult one for anyone who's running their own business because it's so easy to you know to to to, to preach from your from your from your glass castle yeah. and say 
when, you, when, you, when you've got down yeah, the line exactly. and you're there already. So people might be listening to this and be like, yeah, I yeah. Mean, easy for you to say. I, I think them early days, you've got you've got to have the investment. I mean, you've got to put the, a little bit of time in. But like like you, I think there's a very fine balance between the two. Like I'll, I'll take my daughter to school most mornings and I'll try and pick her up and then I'll, you know, I'll have them a couple of hours in the evening where I can spend some time with them, be present. And then, you know, I'll do some work in the evening. It's probably my wife that gets the least amount of time of me because, you know, you spend time with the kids in the evening, I'll be sitting there on my laptop and I'm, you know, you're working away and you're there, but you're engrossed in, in what's going on. So that's something I need to improve on. Um, any tips? I think I think definitely like having the ability to, to not work from home and seeing your kids um seeing you through their lens mm. like if i was that high and i saw me walking around the house on my phone all they see is the back of my phone and that becomes normal to them you know i don't want that to be normal yeah do you know what i mean like always um daddy can you help me with this and i'm like yeah two secs yeah i've got to send this email put it away mate yeah. do you know what i mean like the and that that is such a powerful message to your children because they there's a lot of complex emotion is going on there the rejection the the the, the idea of of um them not being the most important thing mm. you know at such key ages you know such developmental like stages that age, like and i think it's a massive responsibility on us as young as parents of young children to recognize that even the smallest actions we make can have mm. a really big impact on them and a long-lasting impact as well um so i'm much more aware of that um these days uh, and it's still work in progress. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, but it's, you know, it's by no means reach kind of, you know, utopia with it, but being aware of it does make you more conscious of the decisions you're making and mm. stops you in your tracks. Yeah. You know, I was speaking to someone yesterday, so I was, I have this thing in my mind where, I, I mean, I, I work really hard at different times of the day, not okay. normally kind of your nine to five. So yeah. I'm a bit of an early bird. I like to ride in the mornings before everyone's up and before the work working day commences so i'm not kind of uh you remember the 5am club yeah absolutely yeah love it you know but I, for a reason so it's not it's not encroaching on either family time or work time yeah. so i get it done in like a little secret time of the day mm -hmm. where i can do it without having it on my conscience yeah but someone said to me yesterday why is it on your conscience anyway you know you you are um hard working you put in more hours than anyone else why do you need to have a a, a, a chimp on your shoulder just because you've gone for a ride at between one and two in the afternoon yeah you know you know you craft you, you're really really hard working and i think that's it's just a conscious thing isn't it you just you just want to make sure that you're um you're you're understood and, mm. and your uh, your work ethic is never in question yeah um so yeah leading by example again it goes back to leading by example doesn't it you want to be you know putting in the hours but you've got to, you've got to have that balance and i think you know they could probably do a whole other podcast about getting work-life balance because it is such a it's an individual and personal thing isn't it you know what, what you prioritize but you have got to have a little bit of both you know and when you need to get in the trenches you can yeah. but when you you know your business as usual when you're sailing through it and you where you need to are and you're further down you're 14 years into it it, it is easier to well, i believe it's hopefully <laughs> it's easier to have down the line but like you say you've just got to take them little bits like i say i will take my oldest daughter to school she doesn't like getting the bus so i'll take her to school in the morning spend you know the time of it it takes 20 minutes out of the day and then i can travel to the office you know here so i, I do try and pry it but there are times when you know 
probably could be better at that. Mm. And I think you gave a good example. You know, oh, one minute, I've just got to send this email. I'm probably probably guilty of that, to be honest. Mm. And hopefully that, you know, that just comes with time and just reevaluating what, what's important. Because like you say, they grow up quick, don't you? I've got, yeah. I've got three children, 12, 8 and 3. And it just goes like, like that, you know. And then the business will still be there in 10 years and, you know, they'll be moved out or with their, with their friends or whatever. Yeah. And what we're doing it for, we're doing it for them. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Like we're doing it for ourselves, but ultimately want to build a, a life for them, which which is fulfilling and rewarding, and you know, and they and they feel loved and you know supported. And so, as well as us trying to support our businesses, we've got to try and take the same attitude and the same passion and commitment into the family yeah. uh, kind of unit as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those where there's balance required and when you're on a, an upward trajectory in business it's great to keep that momentum going um but always always be aware of there's usually a cost yeah i'd recommend dan stanley's book as well maybe we'll put a link down in in the uh, in the bio and that's on amazon so um yeah so we covered a wide range of topics what's next for ollie and sauce definitely um more video content yeah. I'm, I'm really trying to just rejig my diary and my and my week structure so i can actually produce better content with more value to our existing customers rather than just more of a, a kind of broad brush yeah. seeing seeing what sticks to a much wider audience i want to bring more value to the people that spend money with us yeah um i think uh driving the business forward with strong sustainable values is is key you know just keeping feeding that 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 machine and making that machine as green green as possible. Um, you're doing some great work with that. See all your electric vehicles and you know push yeah. chemicals. It, I think the it, that's driven by the customer. Yeah. In fairness, you know, and we reacted to okay. to the customer's needs. There was a bit of both. I kind of felt a bit of a one of those gut feelings you do as a business owner. I think this is the direction we need to go. But at the same time, that was validated by just the, just the sheer demand for customers or even their customers who are demanding the the, the, the most ethical or uh, sustainable option and so there was a good point in time just to pivot the business um really invest in the electric vehicles where it's feasible which is you know in london mainly because it's just you know short stops yeah, and they regen brake they come back with 60 70 miles still in the battery you know they're brilliant they work really really well great cost saving measure as well because there's no congestion charge yeah. and you know the fuel and everything like that so it's, it, it was a no-brainer in that and we're going to add two more into london as well so that'll be seven maybe eight vehicles in total uh solar panels are getting fitted onto our warehouse in the summer um so hopefully that will just kind of give a, another another tick in the box yeah. so um yeah I, I care about this planet you know I, I i feel like it's part of it's part of our responsibility to, to do things as best as you can um, and not every business is suited to, to take those big steps, yeah. just practicality-wise, or the choice of, you know, greener options isn't quite there yet, mm. you know, which we struggled with for a long time. I think for me, you know, when, when we present um, the two options, it, these it's interesting, like, it's the same with food as well, you know, you go to get the healthy food, it's actually more expensive than buying the cheap rubbish, right? Um, but the benefits of it. So I think, you know, a lot of customers are now going, dictating to us as a business we want you to go along a more sustainable route whereas before we'd sort of present them with two options and they'd go well which one's the cheapest and you go oh well you know your standard disinfectant or whatever it may be and they'd go well we'll go with that option for now i think that's definitely shifting 
changing. Yeah. Are you finding that? Definitely. I mean, we, we've had a lot of conversations with companies who, who you, they might have a client who is environmentally conscious and they've said, can you present all the options like you've just said? And we've done that. And, you know, then cost has been the deciding factor. And unfortunately, all the, the research and the good work you've done is then just goes out, the out, out the window. And then cost is the key driver. So I think now, but now I think you're genuinely seeing more sustainable products are more affordable, yep. you know, leveling off a little bit. Good. Um, I also think coupled that with um, just a, a slightly more committed attitude to a sustainable choice, um, you know, is it, often winning over, uh, over cost. Yeah because um, it's a less less of a pill, bitter pill to swallow really it's not the, co- the cost difference isn't that as much as it used to not be now. Yeah. yeah and that's just economies of scale and manufacturing and everything just is, is leveling off a bit in terms of sustainability and there's trends as well you know products on the market like you know, sachets you know soaps and sachet cleaning products and you know super concentrates it's becoming you know a ready to use trigger spray for yeah. me is like cardinal sin you know in the industry now and i feel like hide all the ones yeah yeah i feel like that's (laughs) becoming soon that'll become i don't know if there is such a thing as being frowned upon but you know that's just like well that's an easy win there's Mm. an alternative ready to go it's better priced uh, it's more sustainable it's less single-use plastic so you know what what, what's what's stopping you yeah whereas before there'd always be a case of "Mm, it's a bit greener but you know it's going to hit me in the pocket i think you know everything within our industry seems to take a lot it's like a a massive boat isn't it It just seems to take a long time to turn around but i think i agree with you i think it's getting there more and more customers you see it them dictating that within tender process and and when you're going you know meeting with procurement buyers they want to see that you're sustainable um in the products you're using and how it's getting to there and even like supply chain so like using yourself how are you impacting the supply chain you know with deliveries electric vehicles and things like that so it's definitely definitely moving it's good to see that the trend's going going that way i totally agree i think if if you don't address that and don't uh, are not seem to be making an effort Mm -hmm. and a a genuine effort not a greenwashing effort um, I think you'll get left behind yeah. eventually. I think it's um, it's, it's a commitment everyone's got to make. Yeah, big one, sustainability. Yeah. So we've covered a wide range of topics, and Ollie, thank you for coming along. Pleasure. Tell man. everyone where they can find you on your social and your websites for Source. Yeah, so it's sourcesuppliers.co.uk, um, and then LinkedIn is me, Ollie Rastel, um, and then we're on YouTube at Source Supplies. So yeah, yeah. Make sure you guys check Ollie out. He's got some fantastic content in terms of eco products, and the content in general is very informative. So make sure you go and check that out. Thanks for checking in on this episode, guys. Ollie, I appreciate you making the journey down. It was a great conversation, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.